0: And Welcome to Click, a podcast about conversations with photographers. Our first season is about student photographers, their work, their background, and breaking into the photographic industry, which seems to only be getting more challenging. My name is Lucas Flippo, and I'm your host. I am a student photojournalist myself at Yale University, so this topic is very near and dear to my heart. I'm so excited that our first guest of this season is Gabriella Wyke. Gabriella is an artist who was born and raised in the Republic of Trinidad and Tobago, where her passion for art was first discovered and developed. Only later in her teenage years was she introduced to photography, when she and her family were posted by their military to Toronto, Canada in 2010. There, she took her first photography class and learned a variety of photographic processes that were both film and digital based. Several years and one military posting later, Wyke finally made the decision to move to Atlanta, Georgia, and pursue a photography degree at Savannah College of Art and Design, more monarchically known as SCAD. At SCAD, White's perspective on art and her photographic practice was completely transformed when she met with professors and colleagues that challenged her way of thinking and approach to her craft. Today, she is a recent graduate of the class of 2020 and continues to make work about social issues in and around her environment. Also in 2020, she was chosen as a Fujifilm student of storytelling, where she received gear and mentoring to tell a story she was passionate about. We're going to get into that later in the show, I promise. But first, if you aren't familiar with Gabby's work, do yourself a favor. Click pause. I promise this is going to be better than my voice. And go check out her work by clicking the links in the show's descriptions. We'll still be around when you get back. And with that, enough of my monologue. Gabby, I'm so excited you accepted the invitation to join me.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Lucas. It's a pleasure to reconnect with my Fujifilm pals <laughs> and just get into talking about, you know, the meat of what life is for people like us. You know, we live, sleep, and, you know, eat photograph- photography, and it's it's just an amazing thing that you're doing. I'm so glad that you decided to finally start, and I'm so You know, honor that you would reach out to me to, you know, have this conversation as one of your first guests. So thank you so much to everyone who is listening. This is going to be great.
0: Of course. And where are you uh, talking today from?
1: I am currently in Trinidad at my home. Um, I've been here since last October when I returned home from Atlanta, Georgia where I went to school, as as I rightfully said, at SCAD. um, You know, we all experienced a bunch of different things that happened in 2020. Um, Coming back home was one of those things for me. I actually wanted to stay in the U.S. a bit longer just to, you know, solidify some of those connections that I made and also, you know, actually pursue uh, more education, Um, but plans change. But I'm happy to be home and make any work that I am now.
0: Yeah. And I, I want to start by going back to you discovering photography in the first place. I, I read on the internet uh, when I was researching you, you know, we've been friends for a while, but I still I still had to do some research and make sure I was up to date. Uh, that you originally weren't a photographer, but you were an artist of another means. Is that right?
1: Yes, totally correct. So I actually started off. Also, as a painter, um, my parents, you know, they really are my superheroes in the sense that they saw my my natural ability um, and they nurtured it. They gave me pencils, paper, paints, anything that you could think of. Um, and so, drawing, painting, and sculpting was some of my very first mediums. Photography only came later. Um, when I actually was uh, relocated with my family in Toronto, Canada. Um, My dad, you know, he is a retired military officer. And uh, at that time, we were posted in Toronto. And I actually took my first photography class. Um, I think I was in the 10th grade at the time. And my teacher there, he he was so encouraging. He told my parents at a parent-teacher conference, you know, you need to get this girl a camera. And my parents immediately listened um, and, you know, worked on getting my first camera, which was a Canon XS Rebel. For those of you who are photographers will know how old that camera is. Um, but it was my first camera, I loved it daily. Although I am pretty sure I did not really know how to use it. (laughs) Um, It was something that, you know, I still actually have. Don't use as much, um, but I remember that moment quite well. And after that class, after my parents bought me that first camera, photography was kind of like a new discovery for me. You know, I still very much love the other mediums, but it's definitely where my heart is right now.
0: And I will attack on here. My first camera was also a Canon Rebel. I think it was a T1I. It was my mom's scrapbooking camera, and I still have it too. I can't. It's 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 in my room back home on a shelf. It will never leave that shelf. I feel like most people I talk to, it seems like their first camera was a Canon Rebel. So that's so interesting. And just tapping into that, it seems like you you moved around a lot growing up at, with the military. Did that inform your artistic practice any? And just, it's so exciting that your parents were so supportive of your artistic practice.
1: Oh, yeah, I think it definitely has informed me as an artist and as a person, um, you know, moving around has its its pros and cons, you know. Um, at the time, I was uh, super young, and so... Moving away from family and friends that I had known for forever, um, you know, seemed unfair to me. I'm just being really transparent, you know. I was not excited about going to Canada at the time. I cried a lot of the times (laughs) after school, asking my mom, you know, um, when are we going back home to Trinidad? And, you know, she would carefully explain, you know, this is our home for now. And so it wasn't the first time, my first time moving, we actually moved to Jamaica and I was, I could only remember the sights and the smells around me, Um, but just to paint a picture of, you know, how my life has kind of been. But I think, you know what, getting exposed to different places, people and culture, it definitely, gives us a greater appreciation for who we are and where we're from. And so I, you know, at this point in my life, feel blessed to have experienced so many different cultures. You know, after Toronto, Canada, I lived in Washington, Washington, D.C. And that was a totally different experience. Um, And it's something that I could only be grateful for now because I have seen how much It has uh, helped to develop me as a person, you know, meeting the people that I met, having those particular experiences, meeting professors from different parts of the world who would have encouraged me to, you know, pursue my artistic career. It has definitely all come full circle. And, you know, I wouldn't change a thing. You know, if I look back now, I would say that it was definitely God ordained (laughs) He knew what was going to happen, and it was just up to me to kind of accept um, my course in life. And now I can see how it has made me the photographer and artist that I am today.
0: Right. And where did you graduate? Of course, a lot of moving around. Where did you graduate high school?
1: So I graduated high school right here in Trinidad, um, Bishop Anstey High School. Um, It's an Anglican school in Trinidad and Tobago. Um, And so I was there for four years, I believe. Um, When we moved to Canada, it was in my third year there. Um, So I actually came back after completing that year long um, posting in Canada. And I kind of just got right back into it in my fourth year. But that is where i graduated um i'm still very much connected um to some of my friends there and you know they are also a part of the work that i make now while i'm home and it's great
0: <laughs> yeah i am from mississippi in the usa it's where i graduated uh, in a rural town um, called amory and i think it's so funny that now i have friends in college who don't keep up with any of their people from high school back home and for me, it's the exact opposite, right? I'm excited when I get to go home because I get to see all those people again. And it's like the connections will never go away. We were so tight-knit because of where we came from. And I think there's a real magic in that. Can you tell me about deciding after you're back home in Trinidad, deciding to go to college in the USA? What was that like? And SCAD specifically, such an incredible college and experience. Can you walk me through that? Well,
1: so <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I just... Call- Thought myself blessed. You know, I, when I was in Bishop Ansi High School, SCAD came to my school from the U.S. um, on a tour, kind of giving um, the students an overview of what to expect should we ever choose to attend SCAD. And I remember thinking, oh my goodness, I never knew that there were art schools out there. Yes, I know that universities existed, but I had no clue that you know, you could go to school and an art school that is dedicated to art, you know, and that excited me because I was always the the um the girl in the class who could draw, the girl in the class who was artistic. And there were a few of us um in my class, you know, who huddled together um in the art room time and time again. Um and that was kind of our safe haven. I was very much, you know, involved in other parts of the school. You know, I played football. Um, I played um, the drums, which I still do. Um, but art was always it for me. Um, and so when SCAD came and I was kind of exposed to what could be, I I don't know, I just became fixated <laughs> on the idea of going to SCAD. And if you talk to anyone who is closest to me, they will tell you how obsessed I was. I just became really driven and determined to get there that, you know, I worked super hard during my high school years. Um, I also did something we call in the Caribbean called Form 6. It is a kind of extended high school experience that happens for two years. Um, and that school is called Bishop Anstu High School and Trinity College East Sixth Form. I was there for two years. Um, and at that time I had to create a particular project, um, which I did um, on the walls of my school, right in front of the art room. And uh, I actually incorporated photographs and painting, um, which was, really interesting when I look back because it really shows the transition you know right. and so when I actually got into SCAD it was like no way because I have literally been wanting to be here for you know five plus years and you know when I got in it actually wasn't the first time I got in um I got in probably two years prior but because of the timing of it all, I was not able to attend. And I actually went to a community college for two years before I was accepted again with a better opportunity at um, attending. So just, just all of that to say that, you know, when something is for you, it's really for you. And I definitely think SCAD was where I needed to be. It definitely widened my scope when it came to art and photography and you know, the power of photography. Because I think that being someone who is naturally inclined to art, you know, it's something that I love and something I do without very little, you know, push. Nobody has to tell me to get up and pick up my camera or pick up my paintbrushes. It's something that I love doing. But when I got to SCAD, you know, I saw how powerful art could be how powerful photography could be you know when i learned about people like Lorna simpson or people like gordon parks and i saw how uh, um impactful their work was and how it was kind of you know um present in our history teaching us what happened then and how relevant it still is today and seeing that work interacting with All my SCAD colleagues and professors who are still very much, you know, connected to me and I connected to them. It really definitely took my artistic mind to another level. I started seeing things differently. I got so much encouragement, you know, there's a saying, um, it comes from the Bible, it says iron sharpness iron, which really means, you know, if two people are the same and they are together, they can definitely make each other better. Um, And so I really felt like that when I was at SCAD. And now that I'm graduated, it's like, it's it's very surreal. I must say it's very surreal. and I'm so grateful for that experience um, because like I said, I don't think that if I went somewhere else, um, I don't I can't say, you know, what my experience would have been like. I think also going back to our previous question, um, because I had that prior experience of moving with my family when it came to moving to Atlanta from Washington, D.C. at the time, it wasn't very difficult. You know, I had to learn certain things, of course, because I was always with my family before, but that I was kind of on my own you know having to do certain things for myself you know it it definitely also gave me a sense of independence and i think that push that i needed to take my career to the next level
0: yeah and i imagine i'm curious as to what art school is like i i go to i go to a normal um what would be the, a liberal arts institution so you know i have history classes um, I, I've taken a photography class or two, but other than that, it's very much across the board, liberal arts classes. I'm curious as to how being in a community where everyone there is pursuing some form of artistic expression, how that impacted your work.
1: <laughs> that was mind-blowing. I felt like if I was home, um, just, you know, missing people who has similar stories you know like I said my parents have always been so supportive when it comes to my natural giftings and my purpose um but I you know I was met I was met with people who had the same dreams but probably didn't have as much support as I did um but they still had that dream to you know make their their art into career and you know they they had that drive And I think being there really um, encouraged me to do my best um, because everyone is kind of heading in the same direction. Everyone um, wants to be their best. And I think one of the best things about SCAD and art school in general is that you have that opportunity to collaborate with so many artists across the board. Um, One of my very good friends, Rochelle Bryan, is a graphic designer. And even though our, sorry about that, even though our disciplines differ in some ways, you know, I could always go to her and say, you know, can you take a look at this? Can you tell me if it works or not? And, you know, she would come to me and, you know, ask me, my my thoughts on her work and it's kind of like that amazing thread between all of us um if i needed um someone who was really good at writing my friend alexis gafer she is a writer and her major was um, film and television and it's just amazing to see how different disciplines connect um because it's all creative based and so having that um that, that pull to pull from, you know, I definitely had um, a group of people around me who I could always ask advice and help when it came to things that I wasn't necessarily great at, but needed help and advice. Um, so at school, I highly recommend 10 out of 10, if art is something that you've always wanted to do and have dreamed of and still dream of and you know if you don't do it you feel depressed and you know if you can't do anything else I would definitely say go to art school now university isn't for everyone but I would say that my experience was definitely an eye-opener and it was the boost that I needed to kind of push myself past the whole stereotypical um, thought of, you know, art is just meant to be something that we enjoy or art is, you know, it can't be taken further than a hobby per se. Um, Being at SCAD, you know, they call it the school of creative um, careers. It definitely showed me possibilities, you know? Um, So, like I said, if it's something that you yourself would would like to do, um, I would look into it. Because you know education is not just something we do in life, it's an opportunity to learn, an opportunity to expand. Um, it's not just a milestone that we have to cross in order to get a job, which is the furthest thing from the truth. Um, you know, and I have this conversation time and time again with people who just go to school because they feel as though it's something I must do to get a job. Yes, it definitely helps. um, But your application to, you know, whatever you set out to do, using that experience and knowledge that you gain from university is what has the ability to get you a job. It's not guaranteed. um, But if I think we look at it in a way that shows us that, you know, it's, it's more than just a step. It's more than just uh, a time where I kill myself and I spend a bunch of money and I, you know, work hard and at the end I get a a piece of paper. It's so much more than that. Um, So I think if our perspective definitely changes on, you know, what university is or what even like, you know, working four years to get a degree is, um, we will all benefit so much more from it. Right. And
0: take me through the beginning of the pandemic. You're a senior at SCAD, getting ready to graduate, and I presume embark on a creative career. What were you thinking uh, before the pandemic hit and how did it affect uh, your plans and your graduation?
1: So (laughs) I am taking myself back to that time right now visually. And... I am being honest. Although I'm somebody who is uh, very op- optimistic, I think um, I too was worried about, you know, what would happen. Um, I remember um, our school closing down. Um, I lived in the, in the dorms at that time. You know, as an international student, um, living in the dorm was, you know, something that was very convenient. Um, and so most of my friends had left to go home um, while I stayed because my country's borders had closed. It's still very much closed right now. And I was in my final year of school. So not having access to studios, equipment, dark rooms, all the things that I had privy to me for the last three years um, was kind of cut off. So, you know, moving to school online um, and having to uh, change the classroom atmosphere was all new. I'm very vig- um, digital. Let me digital now. Sorry, I spoke a little. Trying to in there. But um, I remember moving to online school and just, you know, thinking to myself, Gabby, you are very... Visual person, um, and somebody that kind of needs to be hands on, to uh, to learn and to understand in the best way possible. So when school transitioned to online, it was difficult. You know, I couldn't focus as much. I also um have ADD something that I've, you know, known about since high school and, you know, even the anxiety of, you know, knowing how things may become more difficult for me, I worried a lot because I am really someone who likes to do my best. Um, And so when online school started, it was a bit nerve wracking. However, because I am the optimist that I am and I believe that, you know, things do happen for particular reasons. And you know, our attitude definitely affects our outcome. In the future, I I put my heels into the ground and I kept on going. I had to go out um, into Atlanta because at that time the work that I was making um, was very documentary style. I went to this gym in the cater boxing gym Um, Atlanta Grindhouse, um, where I met with boxing coach Mustafa Meekins. He is one of the best men that I have met um, throughout this entire experience. Um, And because, you know, there was something new in the air, COVID-19, I had to be super careful, um, you know, and also mindful of the fact that I couldn't stay in the gym as long as I had before, because of the virus. Um, so instead of going to the gym for four hours or so to photograph, I was there for 45 minutes. And so I, I, only, I could have only gone there for a couple of days at a time. You know, I took the lift to get there, and that was even a, a risk um so it was an experience um but I think that the work that I created during that time was so powerful that you know I I think it was definitely with the trouble you know yeah but it was good <laughs> and backpedaling
0: a little bit the In the spring of 2020, you got the gigantic honor after applying to be a Fujifilm student of storytelling. And if my numbers are right, there were about 30 across the country who applied and were accepted to tell a story that they were passionate about using gear that Fujifilm would give them and then mentoring uh, in different sessions and giving different advice. We had lighting classes, so on and so forth. I'm curious as to why you chose the gym and how you came across the gym, and then we'll kind of go into your work that you did there because it's so incredible.
1: Awesome, thank you so much for that question. Um, So just to create the scene, um, while I was in the process of getting my senior show together, um, this was a work that I had been doing for probably the last two years. Um, and one of my professors Um, reached out to me and he said, you know, I really think you should submit this week um, to this particular project. And of course, I'm kind of, you know, concentrating on graduating, um, but I've learned that my professors, they have my best interests at heart. And so when he told me, I definitely um, took him seriously and I applied and, you know, the rest is history. I became a student storyteller among so many other great storytellers like yourself, Lucas. Um, And that experience, you know, I'm still reaping the rewards of that connection. You know, we are still very much in contact with each other Um, and, you know, just being in contact with each other is really encouraging for me. Um, But that particular work was something that I committed to doing some years before, um, and it was really because I couldn't understand why people would treat Black men the way that they do. Um, You know, I am a Black woman from the Caribbean, and of course, that means that I was raised by a Black father, a Black mother. I have um, a brother. He is also Black cousins families uncles loved ones most of them black and you know because it's my daily experience i couldn't wrap my mind around what what was the what, what was the thing that made people do what they do to black people and particularly black men um so the project really started off as uh, and ode to Black men, a way to celebrate them in a way that is true and real, and not just, you know, something that we see on the news, you know, Black men, you know, they do drugs or they rob and they steal and they don't take care of their kids and they are men that are not driven and, you know, which are things that are all untrue. If, you know, someone Takes a wrong turn in their life, it doesn't necessarily have anything to do with their skin color. It may have some things to do with their environment, their, you know, socioeconomic status, um, their life experiences, but to pin it down to being black is just absurd. And so the project really became something um kind of like a voice to you know, the world that black men are so much more than they appear to be to others who really don't um, have the privilege like me to love them and to be taught by them and to be cherished by them and protected by them. They are regular people too. And so going into this boxing gym really um, showed me and showed the people that saw the work from the letter, which is what the project is called, um how black men are really normal human beings. And so by showing that, I I I I think I was able to show people that you know black men can you know go into boxing gyms and just be regular people, you know. The guys in the gym are people who are driven. You know, they love boxing, they love each other. Um, when I went into the gym, I remember feeling very safe, um, very welcome, and uh, just having that opportunity to see how they interacted with Coach Mustafa. He respected them, they respected him, and I think being in there really um, was a great metaphor for the whole idea of uh, fighting racism. You know, black men, from the time they're born, they are criticized and ostracized. And by showing people that, you know, they take care of their kids, They, they are respectful people. They do what they have to do and they are very good contributions to each society. Um, It's something I think that people who, you know, don't experience them on a daily basis, um, you know, needed to see. And so this is why I have continued to advocate for them in that way. And, you know, not necessarily um, try to paint that picture of trauma Because I believe um, in terms of, uh, you know, journalism and, you know, showing that traumatic side of the Black experience is also destructive, you know? And I really didn't want to be on that side of history. I really wanted to celebrate and uplift the men who would see this work, but also the men that participated.
0: I think that's so fascinating uh, with you going away from the strict journalism eye that really does play on trauma so much. And I think you can see it in the photographs that you intentionally were showing a brighter side. And it only makes it more impressive to me in these photographs. You're photographing in a gym, uh, like a boxing gym. So typically you think those those environments are really dark, not well lit, well confined, but you don't see that in your photos. Your photos are it seems to make the space open up. And I when I look at the photos, I don't really even think this kind of sounds crazy, but I don't think I'm looking at a photograph. It almost seems like the camera is not there. The person you're photographing is feels completely genuine and isn't there for the camera and it doesn't feel like the camera is a part of the scene. And in a lot of straight journalism, photography and many other forms of photography, it's hard to ignore the fact that there is a camera there it feels intrinsic to the experience that you're seeing this through a camera lens and your work in that gym it just feels like I'm looking through your eyes almost how did that just come through time I know you said you worked on the project for several years and was it like that from the beginning? Of course, I know that might be a personality uh, trait you're able to have that makes people connect with you so well, but could you talk me through that? How they were so comfortable with you roaming around with the camera to where it didn't even seem like you were there with the camera?
1: Um, That's a great question. I think it's a bit of both. I really love people. Um, one of the things I love the most about photography is how uh, – it is able to capture that realistic side of a person. Um, And it's something that I really strive to do in my work. So thank you so much for saying that, it means a lot. Um, But I remember when I first started um, my documentary courses at SCAD and my teacher, she told us that, you know, she she would like us to do this assignment where we went out on a bus and we documented Um, you know, what happened on the bus, or kind of like our experience. Um, And you know, somebody that was new to Atlanta and that kind of lifestyle, I was terrified. (laughs) I took my friend with me, Um, we went on the bus um, and we kind of just rode on the line, um, just observing, capturing the scenes. And uh, although it was something that was new um, and something that I was kind of resistant to at first, it was something that I definitely needed to do. I am someone that is uh, friendly and someone that loves uh, um, connecting with people. But because I think of my father, him being a military officer, he definitely taught me to be elite um, and taught me the importance of, you know, being safe, especially in a place that I'm not familiar with. Um, But it was something that I needed to do. And after that particular project, um she sent us out on more assignments. Her name is uh, Sandra Phipps um and she was perfect for me. <laughs> you know she um kind of threw me into the deep end and you know told me to swim and I think in doing so, it gave me more confidence to go into spaces that were unfamiliar. so I actually met um. Mustafa on a shoot that I was going to do with somebody that I had met previously um, through um, another connection. I went to this gym and I went to meet this physical um, trainer, Jonathan Warner. And at the gym, you know, I was taking pictures of him because he's also um, a black man that, you know, advocates for the black community through physical training. So I went to photograph him, but at the same gym, Mustafa was in another side of the gym coaching boxers. There was a ring set up and my eyes, as soon as they fell on him, I said, I have to talk to him. He will be great for this project. And I didn't even know him. I just looked at him and I thought he was interesting. So I went up to him um, while he was training, I kind of just hung out. And you know, when he looked at me, you know, I asked him, I said, is it okay if I take a few photos of you? And he said, sure, you know, and I took a couple of photos. Then when he was finished with that particular session, um, we chatted a bit and I told him what I was doing and he really loved the idea. And so we kept in contact. And so when, um, you know, I decided that this is a work that I'm going to develop and flesh out um, as my senior portfolio when I leave SCAD, um, you know, he was the one that I kind of zoomed in on. Um, I was doing a bunch of different Black men, um, but he was definitely this, you know, the one that I I really wanted to delve deeper into. Um, His story was so interesting. He's such a an inspiration, you know, to not just me, but the guys that he's coached and to the community. Um, I felt really blessed to have met him and, you know, just develop the work further. Um, Because I think going back to your question about, you know, the gym being a place that's kind of dark and, um, you know, even the walls, I think, were painted black. I remember going into the gym one time and the gym was completely black. And I, I told the coach, I said, coach, I can't, I can't see anything. And so apparently they turned off the lights because it made the place ex- excruciatingly warm. Mm-hmm. So while they're boxing, um, they turned off the lights because they wanted to be a bit more comfortable, which I thought was funny. Um, but when I got there they opened the front door to the gym and also the back door so light was able to get in and it was just enough honestly um, to, to, to bring that um, that light into the room um, and you know of course Fujifilm they make some great cameras. <laughs> I shoot currently with the X-Pro3 Um, which is one of the cameras that I used or the primary camera that I used um, to capture those pictures in the gym. Um, They have incredible ISO um, and so I was able to push it all the way through, um, you know, to get um, these really um, amazing images. And I think, you know, also understanding light is something that we have to exercise as photographers um, you may not always have the things that you need to make a good photograph, but your eyes, I think, are some of the the most valuable tools that we have. And understanding how light works and where it falls and, um, you know, just understanding how to read it, I think is definitely an Advantage that we have as photographers and that's how we're kind of able to make the images that we do because we understand how light works. Um, And so I'm grateful that, you know, even in a setting like that, the images reflected something that was different and something that, you know, you said something about The camera not being there in the space and that's definitely what I wanted to show. I didn't want to show something that was staged. I really just wanted to be a fly on the wall. When I walked into the gym many times, you know, if I found that they were kind of looking at me kind of suspiciously, I would (laughs) introduce myself and kind of tell them why I was there um, and that I'll just be hanging out for a few hours. And that usually did it. Um, They usually said like, you know, okay, that's cool. Thank you so much for doing this. Um, And I wouldn't necessarily interact with them, but I would kind of just let them be And I would move through the gym kind of undetected, which is how I like it best, because I think that's how we are able to capture those realistic moments as photographers. Yeah, and
0: the time when you started releasing this work was over the summer and fall of 2020, which lined up with the murder of George Floyd, which just seems to put a whole new spotlight on this work. Can you tell me more about what role the gym plays in that community and and the coach, Mustafa, how he came about creating the gym and and how he keeps it going?
1: So, interesting question. Um, So I was smack in the middle of creating this week when um, George Floyd was murdered. Um, And I said to myself, you know, what are the odds (laughs) that I'm creating some work like this? Um, and this happens. And then of course, following his death, it brought up an entire history of what has been happening for years and years. Um, and it spun, I think, a, a rage in the communities about, you know, something that we have had to combat as a black community for so long, not just in America, but, um, you know, across the world, when you look at history, you see these things reoccurring when it comes to slavery, et cetera, et cetera. But this time was different. And I think it was because, um, because we were locked down, because most people were on their phones um, and connected to the internet, um, the story spread like wildfire and it spread quickly. And so everybody, I think, was able to you know, really concentrate on what was going on. Um, and I started drawing similarities between what was happening in society and America at that time and the work that I was creating. And because the gym was made up of a variety of different age groups. Um, and uh, experiences and, you know, different men, because, you know, all black men aren't the same, just like all white men aren't the same. Um, These uh, men and boys had different stories, but because of different things that happened, um, I started seeing, um, what's the word? I started seeing my work very symbolically. Um, And, uh, you know, there's one particular image Um, That's one of my favorite from that particular body of work, where this boy is kneeling. And when I saw him kneel in that gym, it took me right back to when Colin Kaepernick knelt during the national anthem. And uh, he was uh, taunted. He was stripped of all his uh, accolades, his job. You know, he was ridiculed. And he's still paying for it even today um, for kneeling during the national anthem. And, you know, we all know the history about the national anthem and how it has affected um, the Black community and just the uh, environment in America as it stands. And so when he knelt, I really saw that, you know, this isn't something that is now occurring. This is something that has happened. This is something that will continue to happen because it's a cycle. You know, Colin Kaepernick, a young man, probably I think in his uh, late twenties at the time, you know, versus this young boy who couldn't be more than 15 years old. And it just came full circle that men and boys, all Black, still fighting, still kneeling, still talking against injustice and still having to deal with the things that men have dealt with for so long. Um, And making that connection between what was happening in the gym and what was happening in America, um, concerning racism and, you know, injustice, it all made sense. You know, boxers have this... Instinct where, you know, they have to fight. They are people that are disciplined. They're people that have no fear You know, people that are very athletic. But at the end of the day, when they come out of that ring, they're people. Yes, they are still fighters, but they are also still people. And I got, that, I got to see that while I was in the gym. Cause I didn't just see them as fighters when I was in the gym. I saw the brotherly love. I saw the mentorship between Mustafa and his, his um, mentees. And I saw that love that exists within the black community. People, you know, don't always get to see that. If you're not, if you're you're around a certain um, group of people, you know, doesn't matter who you are. You will only know that which is, you know, why I think again, you know, moving around gave me that opportunity to appreciate people the way I do now. Um, You know, Trinidad is a place, Trinidad and Tobago is a place that um, is filled with a lot of uh, different ethnicities and experiences. Um, We're all Trinidadian, but we don't all look the same, you know, and I think having that experience um, definitely informs my passion for the work that I do because I don't like to see people um, for their outward appearance. I really, you know, strive to appreciate them for who they truly are inwardly.
0: Yeah, and to close out this kind of section, I want to read with our audience uh, one of your closing captions from one of the last posts you shared from the project. Last year. It goes, it reads Now that you have been well acquainted with Coach Mustafa and his fighters at the ATL Grindhouse, let's talk. Let us open our eyes to what is really there, here and around us every day. Man of honor and grace, man of strength and dignity, man who deserves the bare minimum of a chance. He deserves your respect. He deserves his life. He deserves to be unafraid, unstressed, and not under arrest by your fear. He will continue to shine with the sweat of resilience and the shimmer of truth he will continue to be unapologetically black and beautiful. He will continue to exist and take up the corners of our earth. Why? Because this is more than a story. This is real life. Signed with love, Gabby. And I feel like that was such a that was such a powerful ending and and thank you for for that work and those words especially in a time where it seemed like the world needed to hear it more than ever because of course atrocities against black men in the United States is not a new phenomenon, not even close. But being able to, to do this work and to release this work when the story of the murder of George Floyd and uh, protest against that behavior was sprouting up all around the country, it felt like it took up so, so much resonance with, with the audience. And I, I thank you for that. And I, I want to hear about ending college in the United States during a pandemic, not knowing what your next step was, or maybe you didn't know what came next after you graduated from SCAD?
1: So, you know, um, that transition was one that was really interesting. Um, Of course, I think every college student has that, um, you know, anxiety and fear of not knowing what will happen after I graduate. Um, because being in school um, puts you in a position where you're kind of in a holding pattern almost. Um, you know, you create work or you do what you have to do. You get your grades and you continue to move up the ladder until you reach that point of graduation. And so, when graduation came, it happened. Um, you know, very unconventionally. Unconventionally, I must say. Um, you know, I graduated in my dorm room alone. <laughs> in front of a laptop screen. Um, And I had on my cap and gown, my parents, and, you know, family on FaceTime. And I was crying, they was crying. Um, It was a very emotional time, Um, but it was so strange, you know, it was something that I didn't necessarily expect. You know, I expected to cross the stage, you know, expected to have my family because they were supposed to come to the U.S. Um, and join me um, in Atlanta for that ceremony, but because it didn't happen, it happened over FaceTime, which is different. Um, but I'm still so grateful that you know I was able to graduate and I'm now an alum. Um, but moving forward, I definitely think that my Fuji film experience um, really is something that gave me a better purpose after graduating, um we uh, went at it for, I think three months, um creating a work. um and of course, I would have been in contact with the coach. I wasn't able to go as much as I usually could go to the gym. um, but when I went, you know, I put my head down and I was determined to get the best pictures that I could get. and you know, I utilize Zoom (laughs) just as we are utilizing Zoom to talk with him um, more deeply about who he was as a person and about his experiences and what he had to say because more than ever, um, I really wanted to uh, showcase him as he really is. I wanted the world to hear what he had to say as a black man. It isn't just about me telling his story, but me kind of opening the floor for them to really speak out and for them to really say what's on their hearts and what's on their minds. Um, so my whole entire Fujifilm experience, I believe, um, gave me some hope and uh, really gave me some direction because I think at the same time, I felt like a photographer. I didn't just feel like a student. I felt like I was actually in it. I was actually living the dream of, you know, doing what I loved um, while still sharing a message that is so important. And I think, you know, they really gave me and I think I could speak for The entire Fujifilm um, students of storytelling team that, you know, it really helped us to gain that confidence that we needed, you know, as students. You are, you know, sometimes just looked at as students. But I think that experience definitely um, helped me to see that, okay, this season of your life has ended, but now this season is just beginning. Um, So I was totally grateful. Um, And, you know, after that experience, um, I was kind of in transition of seeing, you know, what was the next step after that? I, you know, had to make the decision to go home after all was kind of exhausted um, for me to try and get into um, grad school, um, which is still one of the things that I probably will do in the future, um, but it wasn't for that particular time. So I decided to come back home and, I wouldn't say start afresh, but kind of continue what I was always doing. Um, So with that being said, um, that season after graduation was uh, almost like walking in the dark with a blindfold on. (laughs) But it was an exciting time and I can still, you know, Um, like I said, benefit from those experiences even now.
0: So we talked about how it almost seemed crazy, the timing of you releasing your and working on your work at the gym alongside the murder of George Floyd and uprisings and protests across the country. When you moved back to when you moved back home, Something similar has happened with your, your current work. Can you walk me through what you're working on now? Because it's so powerful in the Her Voice project.
1: Okay, so so when I came home, I actually was very determined to see how I could continue the letter, um, you know, talking about Black men and injustices and stuff. Because like I said, although America is on a stage, um, you know, injustice when it comes to black men happen globally. And so I was determined to make that connection. However, we had a series of unfortunate events happen in Trinidad where two young ladies were murdered. um, Almost consecutively, I would say Andrea Barrett and Ashanti Riley. Ashanti was the first to leave us. Um, But I think after Andrea passed it, struck a match in people. Um, We are very happy in Trinidad and Tobago. We um, are very relaxed people. Um, And the most I had ever seen of a protest was, you know, people probably protesting for not being paid on time. Um, But this time I saw a different mindset. I saw, you know, mothers on the street I saw churches on the hills praying. I saw candlelight vigils being held all over the country, you know, and people standing in front of the parliament house pleading with the government to do more. And I said to myself, although this, um, this issue of black men being stereotyped is important, it is something that needs my attention. I said, now that I am home, as a black woman and as a woman living in Trinidad and Tobago, somebody who was raised here and have, you know, lived here for most of my life, I cannot ignore what is happening. And so I had to get out there. I remember um, just being at home and seeing a message on my phone. Um, I think it was on Instagram. One of my scared friends actually, who is home as well himself, um, posted something about there being a protest at Queen's Park Savannah, which is kind of like a big open park in Trinidad, and I—I I don't know—I just felt something in me saying, "You need to go. You need to. You need to go." And so I wasn't planned I wasn't, you know, I wasn't necessarily planning to go to this particular march, but I had to. I put on my sneakers, I grabbed my camera, um, grabbed the SD card um, and my 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 um hat <laughs> and I went to the march and I remember getting there and interacting with the people at the march um, and just being immersed in that atmosphere, I would say that I felt alive. I felt like if I was you know, at the right place, at the right time. And this is what I was supposed to be doing. And that sparked um, what is known today as the Hear Voice Project. Um, it's something that I started probably last two, almost three months now um, that really aims to amplify voices of women of Trinidad and Tobago, um, you know, who, have experienced things like harassment and you know sexual harassment, sexual harassment at that, and catcalling and domestic abuse and you know everything that surrounds that particular issue. And I said to myself that you know after photographing the marches and the vigils and the protests, I said I really would like to do more for the women. Um, and I said I'm a photographer. I can give them pictures. I can give them an experience that is totally focused on them. Um, Because I think that, you know, when things like this, you know, pop up, we as a people are very, you know, quick to jump and, you know, get in line with everyone and see how important this issue is. But we really never in and talk to people who are experiencing these issues. And I felt it so important to talk to the average woman, you know, the average mother or the average girl who has experienced gender-based violence in some way, shape or form. And so I have been going around Trinidad, um, hoping to reach Tobago in the near future, um, you know, asking them similar questions. How would you like to be treated as a woman? Um, Has anyone ever asked you how you feel concerning these issues? Um, Have you ever been asked in the first place your opinion? And most of them surprisingly shared no, which is really bewildering to me because as a woman in this country right now, it should be something that is, you know, the topic of discussion. But I think that this project for me has definitely showed me that you know you just sometimes need to give someone a chance to talk or a chance to share because I some of these women I don't know personally um and they saw you know the advertisement for her voice and they took the opportunity and they shared and you know some of them you know in confidence told me about their experiences and I were so moved and so touched that they would share, you know, even if we don't know each other, they still felt, you know, safe enough to share their experiences with me. And so by sharing um, this work publicly on Instagram and Facebook, um, I think it gives people an opportunity to really see these women, like see them, not just know their names, because I'm really, really past the whole say her name, know her name, I'm really past it, honestly. I am all about action. And I think the Her Voice Project is the beginning of action. These women are sharing, um, you know, what they would like to see, what they would like to see change. Not just how they feel, but what they want the society and the men of our society to do about it. Um, So the Her Voice Project is something like you said previously that I've been you know sitting on for months because <laughs> when um I would say God dropped it in my spirit to do it I was nervous I said you know I don't have this I don't have that I don't know how to do this how am I going to you know get all of this done and then I just said to myself you know what just do it I put it out there I didn't even know who was going to respond or if women were going to come. Um, but they did, and they have shared, and I am totally blessed by the entire experience.
0: and I think the the interaction on the photos you've been sharing from this project has been through the roof. It's just praise on on every image. And I wonder how much of that comes from this work seems so personal to you as a as a black woman of Trinidad this is something that affects you. And I saw the behind the scenes image of, uh, of you setting up a white backdrop. It seemed like just on a sidewalk with a, with a woman you were photographing. And it's just like the simplicity of that. There's no, no barrier, no shield. It's a, a black woman of Trinidad, photographing another black woman of Trinidad and sharing in, in that experience and how that has gone wrong. And I'm, I'm curious as to, at the end, I want to share the blurb of the the project that you share. It says, The Her Voice Project is about her for her. Following the abductions and murders of Andrea Barat, Ashanti Riley, and many other women in Trinidad and Tobago, citizens from across the nation have demonstrated their frustration with the way gender-based violence is handled in the country. The Her Voice Project will aim to amplify the voices of women, their concerns, and ideas. If you've never asked how she feels and how she wants to be treated— here is your opportunity to listen. Women, go to the link in my bio if you want to participate. I'm so curious at the fact the power and the strength of these women that obviously it's a, it feels like a dangerous time um, to be a, a woman in Trinidad and Tobago, and yet they're still they're still clicking that link in the bio and they still want to share their voice and their story and even their face with you to photograph. How has that experience been for you personally? <laughs>
1: So it's been a lot, I would say, um, but I am blessed enough to have people around me. One particular person I would like to say thank you to is my father. He has been with me um, throughout this entire experience. Um, he's recently retired. as a military officer. Um, and he <laughs> he said to me, if you think you're going to go out there on your own Right now, while things are a bit crazy in the country, you are wrong. And so he's been with me as my bodyguard, my photo assistant, my, um, you know, everything you could think of, driver, everything. Um, so I would just like to say thank you to my dad, Danley White. You have been a constant help to me during this time. Um, thank you so much for all that you do. Um, for me, I really appreciate you, and, I mean, being a woman right now in Trinidad and Tobago is, uh, you know, it can be, it can be stressful, and it can be frustrating, um, just because, you know, we are accustomed to moving about as freely as we can, you know, going about our daily activities, you know, as a photographer, I shouldn't, feel unsafe you know going to do a job um with someone i've met because i'm afraid of being kidnapped and murdered it should never be like that and i love my country i will always stress the fact that i do love my country most of my friends um that know me in the us they know first and foremost that i am a trinidadian and a trinidadian at heart um but we also have to be honest with ourselves. Um, we have been struggling with this issue of gender-based violence and not just in Trinidad and Tobago, but worldwide. Um, when I shared um or started sharing her voice um uh, publicly, women, you know, from all over the world started reaching out to me and saying, you know, how could I be involved? How can I participate? And then and there I realized that, you know, this is something so much bigger than what's happening in Trinidad and Tobago, but this is an issue that women worldwide struggle with. Um, and like I said, um, Trinidad and Tobago is a place where, you know, we look different. We don't all look the same. We're very diverse people, And so when you look at the Hill Voice Project, you can see the variety of women um, represented. um, Some young, some a bit older, um, some of, we call it, you know, Afro Trinidadian descent, some of Indo Trinidadian descent, um, some white, um, some with Chinese heritage, um, you know, some with different religious backgrounds. and it's really to say that all women experience this issue. It doesn't matter how you dress. It doesn't matter what, you know, um, ethnic background you come from. If you have money, if you don't have money, it doesn't matter. If you're a woman, if you're over eight years old, you still experience this. You know, it, it really broke my heart one time to hear um, a story that was shared with me, um, a woman who's probably could be almost 90. She's taking a taxi and a a young driver is, uh, you know, making advances on her. And I'm just like, you know, where is the respect? In Trinidad, we we really respect our elders. But as of recent, I can see how it has shifted, not saying that all, of course, um, men in Trinidad, um, you know, are disrespectful and, you know, mean uh, harm against women because that's absolutely not true. I just mentioned men like my father who has been my rock (laughs) throughout the Hill Voice project. Um, You know, my brother, my friends who have been sharing and helping me out, my uncle, who also has helped me out, Um, you know, all men. Not saying that, you know, we need to pull up our men, but you know, it is an issue that we have to deal with. We have to deal with it. We can't just let it be an issue that exists and one that gets out of control. Um, So I really see the her voice as uh, something that definitely starts the conversation um, and starts, you know, getting that um, call to action out there.
0: And uh, something that tied both of these projects together, the Her Voice project and your photography in the gym, is black and white. Y- you work in black and white, and I'm curious as to know what the decision-making process behind uh, throwing all of your work into black and white is and how that affects it.
1: So... I remember when I went to SCAD, I was introduced to film photography uh, by one of my professors, Elizabeth Tuke, who I love daily. Um, she taught me how to develop film in the dark room. And I remember that experience and how uh op- eye-opening it was for me. Um, I loved how you know the grain structure came together. I loved seeing the contrast, um, how to balance light and how to balance, um, you know, colors within a photograph that only seems to have, you know, two primary colors and then shades and tins off of it. Um, I loved film, still love film. Um, And so I think black and white also has a, a way of bringing everyone to the same level. And by that I mean um, taking away the fluff of an image because I think color sometimes um, is distracting when dealing with a particular issue. Sometimes it can help um, to describe what's happening, but for my particular work, um, I really wanted the viewer to see people for who they were, not necessarily for the color, Um, but to, you know, force them to look at their eyes, force them to look at their hair, force them to listen to what they had to say through the photograph itself. Um, I think black and white um, also has a particular um, prestige about it. I remember looking at Gordon Park's images and, you know, knowing how important they were just because they were in black and white. And that doesn't necessarily mean that he intentionally took them in black and white because, you know, he is a photographer that existed during the time where, um, you know, color photography was just coming in. So he didn't really have a choice but to shoot in black and white. But what I'm saying is that when I look at black and white images from the past, there's a certain importance that I attach to them. When I look at images in the newspaper that are black and white, there's a certain importance that is attached to them. And I also want viewers, when they see, you know, the people in the work that I've created, to attach a certain importance to the issues that are being discussed. I would like people to take it seriously. I would like, you know, people to pay attention and, you know, within their minds um, say, you know, this is something that I need to be paying attention to. And I think that's really why I have chosen to tell stories this way. Um, Apart from, you know, being obsessed and loving the look of it, I think it also has its symbolic attachments, um, which definitely help to amplify the stories that I'm telling.
0: For sure. And Thank you so much for talking with me today, Gabby. And I have one more question. It's probably the hardest question to answer so far that I would like to ask you to close things out, and that is why do you photograph?
1: Okay, why do I photograph? Um, So I was thinking about this today and. The most honest answer I can give you is that I need to photograph. I absolutely need to be doing this right now right here um I have known for most of my life that I would become an artist and I would be doing art whatever it is I would be creatively involved in it and when photography um I would say came into my life or I met photography um My scope just exploded. You know, I saw art differently. Um, And because I am doing the work that I am now, um, when when it comes to social issues, I see the impact that it has. I see how it is uh, beginning to change the people that see it but also the people that are part of the experience. Um, And I think I have found my purpose, which is really to help be a voice to the voiceless or to the people that have not been able to to speak freely and comfortably. Um, My photography is really devoted to that people, that particular kind of work, um, you know, it's not the only thing that I do with my camera, obviously, but it is at the heart and the center of what I do. And I photograph because I see how it has transformed people. um, And I see that it is a tool in helping change something change is something that is inevitable but if we never move to change or if we never you know accept that things will change change will just pass us by change will just happen and change doesn't necessarily have to be good change could also be bad and so with these gifts with these talents that have been given um, with this passion that I've been given, if I just did nothing with it, there would be no point in my existence, <laughs> literally. And so when you ask me why I photograph, I do it because I need to, I know it because this is who I am, and without doing it, there would be no point.
0: <laughs> and- that can without a doubt be seen in your work thank you so much gabby for for doing this work without fear without hesitation and putting your entire passion into it and thank you for joining me today to be the first episode on this crazy new podcast i've launched um if you've enjoyed listening to this episode please feel free to click follow uh we're going to be having a different student photographer and documentarian on each episode to talk about their work in this first season. Right now, we are on Spotify, and during this show, I just got a notification that we're on Pocket Cast. By the time you're listening to this, we'll probably be on Google Podcasts as well, so wherever you listen to your podcast, that's where we will be. Feel free to click follow and follow along on this first season where we talk to student photographers about their work, what's next, how they got their beginnings, and what drives them, and like Gabby just answered, why did they photograph? Thank you so much for joining me today, Gabby.
1: Thank you for having me, Lucas. I hope that, you know, when people listen, they really see a passion. Thank you for allowing, you know, the space for photographers like me. I'm truly honored to be on your very first show.
0: Of course. Thank you all so much for listening.